and thank you for listening to True Crime Cam. Before we get into this week's episode, I do want to make a correction. One of my lovely followers DM'd me and let me know that I pronounced Edinburgh incredibly wrong. I think I pronounced it Edinburgh, but that is not right at all. It's Edinburgh. So thank you, Ginger Abby on Instagram for letting me know about that because I definitely would have just kept going my whole life thinking it was pronounced Edinburgh. But anyways, let's get into this week's episode of r slash Let's Not Meet Stories. This first one is titled, My Friend's Crazy Boyfriend. Hello all, this is my second time sharing on Let's Not Meet. I hope this is the right place to post this because I actually had met this person once. Anyway, here goes, this is going to be a long one. I moved to a large city from an island when I was 19. It was a completely new environment as I had never lived anywhere but the island my entire life. Before I moved, I had a great group of friends mostly made up of girls I'd known since elementary school. Needless to say, I was pretty lonely and making new friends was proving to be difficult. Four years later, I'm 23 and I had three friends. Not so bad, right? I decided to enroll in college and study to be a teacher. I loved my classes and started to make friends there too. I was really excited to meet new people, especially people who shared my passion for teaching and helping children. At the start of a new class, I met a girl named Julia. She complimented my outfit before class started, and then proceeded to roll her eyes at everyone who spoke to her and filed her nails through the entire five-hour class and generally acted like she'd rather be anywhere else. This was rather off-putting, so most of us just left her alone and didn't try to speak to her. A few weeks into the class, she suddenly warmed up to me, talking to me during breaks and asking about homework assignments or to see my notes. I'm not a very judgmental person, so I just figured she was going through something, or she was just the type of person who tried to keep people at a distance. We all have our own shit, you know? We stayed friends through the next few classes, talking on the phone, going to lunch, shopping, the typical female bonding stuff. She started to open up about her breakup with her much older boyfriend, her problems with her current boyfriend, who was our age, and her family. Turns out she had a pretty rough life, and I started telling the other girls in my class to be nice and try to get to know her, and that she wasn't so bad. New Year's rolls around, and it turns out neither of us had plans to go out, so she invited me to her house to drink wine, eat, do our nails, and watch TV. I agree, and we made plans for her to pick me up around 5. She lived about 40 minutes away so we could buy dinner, wine, and snacks for the evening before the streets got crowded slash blocked off. She pulls up to my house and texts me that she and her boyfriend James are there. He came along for the ride and was going out with some friends later that night. This was my first time meeting him. I went to get in the back seat and he jumped out of the passenger side and told me to sit up front, which was nice. We had a good time shopping, joking around, and singing in the car. We were almost back at Julia's house when James said something, I'm not sure what, but it pissed Julia off. She turned around while driving and started yelling at him. James started yelling back and we started swerving. I am obviously shocked and a little scared, so I say lightly, Hey Julia, I want to make it to next year, eyes on the road. She snaps out of her rage, laughs, apologizes, and continues driving. We get to her house and she and James immediately start fighting. They go upstairs and close her bedroom door. I busy myself with putting the food where I think it should go and figure out how to turn on the TV and basically just sit there for an hour while the yelling gets louder and louder. I'm thinking about who I can call to come get me, but realize that I'm stuck. All the major streets are closed. It would take hours to get to me, and it was already 9 p.m. At that moment, I hear a crash, followed by cursing. I stand up and consider going upstairs, 
when James comes running downstairs and out the door. I asked what's going on, and she says he got in her face, calling her names, and she punched him. I was totally unprepared for this. Who the hell ever is? So I tell her the truth. They were both wrong, and they should both apologize and possibly break up. Anger like that isn't healthy. She calms down, and we eat, drink, and end up having a pretty good night. The next morning, James shows up with flowers for Julia and a coffee for all of us, and it seems that all is well, until they start fighting again. At this point, I just want to get home and forget about all this craziness. I tell her it's getting late in the day, and I need to get home for my annual family New Year's Day dinner. She agrees to take me home. James comes with us. He's suddenly being really rude and cold towards me, but I just chalk it up to him being in a bad mood about their fight. I finally get home and decide not to hang out with her as much. Julia dropped out of school. We still talked on the phone a lot, but rarely hung out anymore. One night she called me crying hysterically. James tried to choke her with her phone charger and punched her. I tell her that this is not okay and she needs to break up with him. She's at his house and I tell her to call a cab or the cops and leave. I hear James in the background and the phone goes dead. I start calling and texting her back, terrified that he's hit her again, or worse, when she starts texting me. She's okay. He passed out drunk and she's scared. He hid her keys and phone and she's texting me through her iPad. I tell her again to get out of there, but she says she's too scared to leave. Finally, after almost an hour of silence, she said she called the cops. He tackled her while she was running out of the house, hit her repeatedly, and ran off once he realized she'd called 911. The next few days, the cops were looking for him. I'm assuring her that she did the right thing, and she needs to stay away from him for good this time. All seems well. Julia is back in my class, though we don't talk as much, and I think that all the drama is over. Then one night at about 3 a.m., the cops are pounding on my door. Scared the shit out of me. They say they had a 911 call from inside my house. I freak out. My dad's freaked out. And my mom slept through all of it. It's now a running joke that she can sleep through literally anything. Anyway, the cops ask us to check our home. No one else is there, but the phone line is dead. They tell us that people can sometimes hack into the line and place false calls, but to call them if anything happens. Two nights later, I'm in class and my phone buzzes. My mom's calling from home, which is odd because she knows I'm in class. I know she's home alone, so I go into the hall and answer. It's not my mom. The voice is distorted and it says, I know where you live. I know your mom's alone. I'm going to kill her tonight. I start shaking. Call my mom's cell. She answers, surprised that I'm calling when I'm supposed to be in class, and asks what's wrong. I tell her to make sure all the doors are locked, get the shotgun, and call the police. Someone just called from the landline threatening to kill her. She goes to call, and the landline is dead. I tell her to hang up, call the police, I'll call dad, he was out of town, and I'll be home as soon as I can. Home calls. Same voice, similar message, but this time he starts laughing. He calls over and over while I'm frantically calling my cousin. She lives closest to the school and tell her it's an emergency and I need her to come get me. The police officer calls from my mother's phone. He says no one is in the house, on the street, or in my yard. He asked how many calls I'd gotten and tells me that he'll stay until I get home. For 20 minutes while I wait for my ride, I get 15 calls, all from home. Same voice telling me that I'm going to die. My mom's going to die. My dad is going to come home and find our corpses. I can't even explain how scared I was at that moment. Then I got mad really, really mad. The next time he calls, I start screaming at him. Come get me, motherfucker. I'll leave my fucking door unlocked. 
You think you can kill me? Threaten my family? Fucking do it and I'll fucking fill you with bullets, you little bitch. Hiding your face and your little number. I'll fucking end you, you little shit. I'm not scared of you. The line goes dead. I'm shaking and crying as my cousin pulls up. I fill her in and she asks who the hell will be doing this to me. I don't have enemies. People usually really like me. Then it clicks. James. Julia had told me that he still had her phone and iPad. James used to call her from random numbers of her friends when they were fighting, and she wouldn't answer his calls. James threatened to kill her mother and her dog. We get to my house, and I tell the cop I know who's calling. I give him a full name and directions to his house. We went by their New Year's Day, and thankfully I pay attention. While I'm standing there, I get another call from the house. The cop answers for me, calls him by his name, tells him that he's a police officer and he needs to stop harassing me. Now, the line goes dead and I don't get another call all night. I sat in the living room until dawn with my shotgun loaded, waiting. My dad comes home the next day. We go and fill out a complaint at the police station. Turns out James is on probation. I call Julia and tell her everything, crying about how scared I was. She got angry and says that James didn't do anything, yelling that I'm making it up and I'm jealous of their love and I'm bitter and alone. Turns out they're back together. I hung up on her and changed my number, called my school and requested to be transferred to a different campus. Julia emailed me saying she'd been trying to call and that she confronted James, and he admitted that he was trying to scare me because I had tried to come between them. I ignored it, and I haven't heard from either since. So James, let's not meet ever again. Same goes for you, Julia. You two psychos deserve each other. This next story is actually from True Off My Chest, and it's titled, I Can't Wait to Abandon My Disabled Brother. Told my parents this a few hours ago. For context, I'm 18 male, in my first year of college and waiting for there to be an affordable condo or apartment for my girlfriend and I to move into involving this predicament. The other night, I had brought my girlfriend over as she had been having some issues at home, and I invited her to come stay with me for a night or two just to let it settle down. We have been together for three years, and she's only been at my place a handful of times due to my brother's violent outbursts. During this stay, my brother ended up attacking her unprovoked, grabbing her hair and managed to rip a chunk out, and she couldn't really fight him off until my mom and I managed to restrain him. At that point, I was so fed up. My girlfriend tried reassuring me that it was okay, but she was also sobbing about it, and we had ended up just sleeping in my car that night, since she couldn't head home and I didn't want her in the same home as my brother. Today, my parents implied that I'd be the sole caretaker for him once they pass away, and I immediately put my foot down. We've been trying to send him to a group home for years, and the wait time was delayed due to the pandemic, and he's supposed to go in April 2024. I told them that I'm not going to have anything to do with him once I'm out of here, and my parents got upset that I would abandon my brother like that. The thing is, I also never saw him as a brother, and more of a fork in the road, and I've been waiting for the day he is out of my life. They said he won't be able to live on his own, and I said to them that's why there's group homes. I also mentioned that me and my GF want to get married and have children of our own, and I will not be raising a 40 or so year old alongside my own children, who could face the wrath of his outbursts. They say I'm cold-hearted, but I don't care. Edit. My brother is 26. They also provided an update. My girlfriend and I are pressing charges. I'll update you guys on the proceedings if you wish. So this post was made 22 days ago, and there hasn't been another update since, but I'll read the top comment. He doesn't sound safe to be with. He needs to be in a professional environment with people who have the ability to stop him when he turns violent. 
I understand your parents are worried about him when they're not around anymore, and they will be feeling a lot of guilt with this. But you're absolutely right. He is not your responsibility. For everyone's sake, he needs to go to the group home. Your parents will be able to see he is in a safe place and should stop pushing you to take him on. If they don't, you're still right. You should not sacrifice the life of you and your girlfriend. This next story is titled, Almost Got Trafficked at the Empire State Building at 3 a.m. This happened in 2019 in New York City. I was randomly talking about this with my partner and decided to share. I was 24, female at the time, and was traveling solo to New York City for work. It was the end of my business trip, and I was currently and still am living in another big city, and am very comfortable slash accustomed to walking around alone even at night. I went out to grab some dinner and drinks and ended up getting into a great conversation with some folks sitting nearby. Anyways, it ends up being 1.30am or so at this point and I'm pretty tipsy. I'm getting ready to go back to my hotel when a woman, who looked to be late 20s, early 30s, sits down next to me. She immediately starts talking to me about how she's traveling alone and was so glad she saw me so she had someone to talk to. Mind you, it's a Friday night in NYC and the bar was not empty by any means. Definitely not packed to the brim, but certainly not vacant. Yes, I know this should have been my first red flag, but I was tipsy and also know what it's like to be a woman traveling alone. She starts talking more about who she is. She said she was from Phoenix, and how she's never been to New York before, and we actually start having a great conversation. The bar is getting ready to close, and she randomly mentions that the Empire State Building is open 24-7, and she really, really wants to go, but she doesn't want to go alone. I stupidly say, sure, I will go with her at almost three in the fucking morning. This is where shit gets weird. She's super normal conversationally the entire night, and once I agree to go, she starts acting really paranoid. She literally asks me, you're not going to traffic me or anything, right? Then goes on a tangent about trafficking and how you can never be too trusting. She also starts talking about the weird people in NYC, and so I'm starting to get a little sketched out. But then I start feeling bad because maybe she's just an anxious person and seemed really excited to go. And again, I know what it's like to be traveling alone. So I start second guessing and feeling guilty if I bail. We pay for our tab and she says she's going to use the restroom really quick before we leave. I take this as the perfect opportunity to text my partner in hopes she's still awake. We live on the West Coast, so three hours earlier than New York. So I can give her a heads up to this odd situation. I start getting a bit more sober and a worse feeling about everything. I decide to go into the bathroom and let her know that I didn't realize how late it was and I have an early flight, yada yada, so I can just leave the situation and not feel super shitty about it. Well, I'm so so glad that I did. I open the bathroom door and at this point she's the only one in the bathroom. I start to enter but I stop because I hear her talking to someone. She is faintly whispering on the phone something about, we'll be going soon and it sounded like she was just vaguely describing me. I nope the fuck out and just completely beeline it for my hotel without saying a word to her. I briefly glance over my shoulder as I'm leaving, and I'm 99% sure I saw her standing in the middle of the sidewalk, still on the phone, just staring in my direction. Could she have been also coming to sobriety and feeling sketched out about me, and was maybe calling her partner for the same reason? Possibly. But I'm glad I didn't stick around to find out. Random lady who wanted to go to the Empire State Building at 3am, let's not meet. I honestly think this situation more likely was just the other woman calling a friend or a partner and describing the OP to their friend or partner for safety reasons. I just think that's more likely than this person 
trying to traffic another woman, but that's just me. Either way, OP did the right thing by just completely leaving the situation no matter what if they had a bad gut feeling about it, so. Okay, this next story is titled, Are Those Bones? If you spend enough nights camping, weird things will happen. A couple of years ago, two buddies and I did a month-long road trip around the U.S. We would camp in the U.S. Forest Service or Bureau of Land Management areas, and we were driving my pickup truck so we could get back in some fairly deep wilderness on forest roads. After about 15 nights on the road, we ended up in some BLM land near Black Canyon of the Gunnison National Park in Colorado. It was our last night in Colorado, and we were exhausted from doing a 14er earlier that morning. We found the coordinates of a campsite online and arrived to the edge of the pavement at about 6 p.m. Ahead of us was a dusty two-track lane that snaked through scraggy trees and brush and made its way to the top of a hill that had views of snow-capped peaks. We hadn't passed a car in a long time. Our truck makes it to the site easily, but none of us get out yet. We sit inside and look around. There's a fire pit, lots of trees, but also an abandoned couch and some other signs of human waste. Not great vibes, but it's getting late and we aren't keen on the idea of driving more. We hop out and start walking around, cautiously approaching some garbage bags wrapped in duct tape. This seems like a place we would find a body, I say to my friends. They agree. We notice a trail that seems to go in a circle around the top of the hill so we decide to check that out before we commit to staying. We find some more trash and human waste, but nothing that makes us feel like we should leave. We decide to cowboy camp, sleep on a tarp beneath the stars, and have a nice fire going. We finish off a case of beer, but even with the inebriation, we still feel uneasy. Every couple of minutes, one of us will shine a light into the woods, thinking that we heard something. Even though this is our 20th consecutive night sleeping outside, it doesn't feel right, but it's late, so we start getting ready for bed. We are all carrying bear spray and headlamps. I step into the woods to go pee and walk about 15 feet without turning on my light. As I'm standing there peeing, I decide I should turn on my headlamp since the fire messed up my night vision. When I see what that beam of light illuminates, my knees nearly buckle. Jaw is dropped. I stand in silence for 10 seconds before calling out to my friends. Guys, did you see this? In the center of my beam is a bunch of bleached bones wrapped in barbed wire hanging from a branch directly above the trail we had walked in the daylight. We would have certainly noticed them in the daylight. They must have been hung once it got dark, while we sat only 25 feet away. The OP linked a picture of the bones, which definitely confirms their description. The consensus among us was, fuck that. So we snapped a couple of photos of it before throwing our stuff in the park and hopping in the truck. We drive a little ways up the road to a national park campground. I've never felt so happy to pay $25 and have neighbors nearby. Whoever put those up during the night, let's not meet. My hypothesis is that a rancher with a grazing lease put the bones up to scare off the scum that leave all the trash in their campsites. They're probably cow bones. Still scared the hell out of me, though. Okay, this next story is titled, I Bet There's a Body in the Trunk. I've never posted anything here before, and this feels kind of tame compared to some of the things here but it still haunts me to this day. This happened when I was a teenager around 14 or 15 in high school. I had a boyfriend at the time who lived a fairly short walk from the school, and we would often walk to his place after school ended and hang out for a few hours before I went home. Because we took the same route so often, I knew all the houses and landmarks on the way. In January, I live in the north, so the winter is pretty cold and snowy, my boyfriend and I started to notice a car that had been parked in the same spot for a while. We thought nothing of it at the time, 
Maybe the car had died in the cold and whoever owned it couldn't afford to have it repaired. But as spring came and the snow melted, the car was still there. Parked in the same spot at the end of my boyfriend's street, we passed it almost every day as we walked there after school. And as the days grew warmer, a rotten stench started to rise from the car. I joked to my boyfriend, I bet there's a body in the trunk. And we laughed it off. But we were curious now. So one day we peered inside the car windows as we passed. The car was messy but not filled with trash or food. A discarded backpack lay across the seat, and papers were strewn here and there. It just looked like any ordinary car, except we knew that it hadn't moved for months, and the smell was indescribable. The smell continued to get worse as the spring turned to summer. One day, when I couldn't come over for some reason, my boyfriend and his dad decided to investigate the car. They found that the doors were unlocked and the keys were inside the car. That was pretty strange. They went around to the back and popped open the trunk. My boyfriend told me that a swarm of black flies flew up from the inside. The smell was definitely coming from the trunk. Inside were a bunch of black garbage bags. My boyfriend and his dad called the cops at this point. The cops later told us that the inside of those bags was rotting meat, cut into pieces. The first pieces of meat they tested belonged to a pig, but a few weeks later, my boyfriend's dad got another call. Under the pig meat were the bones of a human child. Whoever left the car sitting unlocked with the keys inside was obviously hoping the car would be stolen. It still gives me the shivers. A lot of the comments under this story were like, wait, child bones were found, but there's nothing about this in the news? And the OP said that they tried to look up this case, which occurred around 1999, but they couldn't find anything. And because they couldn't find anything, I'm honestly suspecting that the story isn't true or there was some sort of miscommunication or prank. At least I hope it's not true. But anyways, that's terrifying either way. Okay, this next story is titled The Job Interview. Before I begin, I should state this was a few years ago and I'm a tiny woman. Back at this time, I looked like a teenager, so I've always been mindful that I seem an easier target or easier to fool. I had seen a job interview for a small business looking for a secretary. No experience needed, as they would provide me on the job training, and as that's the kind of thing I was looking for, I applied. I heard back quickly, and I was invited to an interview. When I arrived, I was excited. It was a bit of a journey from my home, but it was in a beautiful old building on the third floor, with a modern layout inside. Though you could tell it was very new, and it was the bare bones, and very little had been unpacked. Still though, if you have to work somewhere, might as well be in a nice building, right? Anyway. The interview seemed normal. I only encountered female members of staff, and they were all warm and lovely. The woman interviewing me was amazing and even sat talking to me for a while after getting to know me. When I get home, I wasn't in the door long before I got a phone call from them. I nailed the interview. Awesome, I thought, and I was offered the job. I was about to accept when I was told on the phone, okay, you'll come here tomorrow and we'll have the van drive you to where you'll be working. And I was like, uh, what? Confused about what they meant. Then they told me I'd be meeting with customers on their behalf and talking, selling stuff. I was not comfortable with this as it wasn't what I was interviewed for, but I gave them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they had a second position they thought I'd be a better fit with? It wouldn't be that weird as a new company, and while not what I was comfortable with, I should hear them out. So I ask more questions, and the woman on the other end of the line is getting more snippy and tense. Gone was the nice, friendly woman from earlier, and she would not reveal where I would be going or who I would be meeting. By this point, plenty of red flags were going off, so I said no thanks to her offer. For anyone curious about what happened after, I reported this as it seemed very dodgy. 
but when they checked, the floor was no longer occupied by them. They'd apparently just rented it for a week and were gone. So, to the people who interviewed me, let's not meet again. This next story is titled, A Stranger Knocked on My Door for 20 Minutes. Last night, my 22 female husband, 25 male, woke me up around 11.50 to tell me that someone had been knocking on our door and ringing our apartment doorbell for about 10 minutes on and off. He woke me so I could possibly ID the person. Once I looked out our upstairs apartment window, I saw the man walking to his car in our apartment parking lot across the street from our unit. He was wearing blue jeans and a gray t-shirt. He was a medium build, possibly 30-year-old blonde man. He wasn't covering his face or anything. But the thing is, he was carrying what looked like resistant bands or rope. He sat in his car for around three minutes while I was on the phone with dispatch. Then he came back to our door and knocked hard for another few minutes. Dispatch advised me that the police were on their way and they hung up. I started videoing the vehicle. I read out the tag number and make and model and just watched as he put his car in park and reverse over and over again. Out of seemingly nowhere, he backed out of the parking lot and started rushing away, but not before the officer arrived and pulled him over. My downstairs neighbor knocked on my door and told me that he had been peering into her little children's windows and was pounding on her door as well. She said that her husband had left only one minute before he started knocking at her door. She said he saw her children through the window, and that's why he continued knocking. Our doors are right next to one another, so we probably didn't know what door he wanted opened. He was watching us as well through our upstairs windows, so I turned all of the lights out and shut the blinds while I called dispatch. The police never contacted us for a statement. I've reached out to dispatch about an update, and I'm waiting to see if any action was taken. We're keeping our eyes peeled to see if he's been following us. I'm replacing my porch light bulbs with motion detectors and putting bars in our window and door tracks. My neighbors and our families are panicked, to say the least. He was outside for about 25 to 30 minutes. To the knocking man with bad intentions, let's not meet. Update. I am trained in firearm usage and now live in a state where I can open carry and the background check is really quick. We are going this weekend to get a firearm. My husband will be taking some classes as he came from somewhere where owning a gun is illegal, so he's never handled one. I am still waiting on a call from the responding officer. I have his badge number and name, so if they don't reach out to me today slash tonight, he might work third shift. I will call the substation. If they didn't do anything, I will go ahead and make a suspicious person's case for the paper trail. We had no odd encounters last night. However, while I was looking at the video I took, I remember that car. I was walking my dog at 8 p.m. a week ago for him to pee, and this car was driving really slow through the parking lot and parked a few spots down from where I was letting my dog sniff. They just sat there with the car running. When I tell you my ears started ringing and I got an awful feeling, I'm not joking. I turned around and went home, didn't even give my dog a chance to pee, and shut every door and window. I think this man has been staking out our apartment building, me, and my neighbors. I think he wanted to get in where those children are. I'll update more when I have new information. Update number two. It's been a week since the incident. I called dispatch today because I never received a follow-up from the responding officer. A sergeant from the PD called me back to give me more information. He said that they pulled over the man, ran him to make sure there were no warrants, and asked him what he was doing. He told the officer that he was meeting up with an acquaintance. The officer let him go with no further questions. Not only that, the responding officer is also a sergeant. I about lost my mind. The sergeant I spoke to today stated that he should have looked into it more, 
It was obviously an attempt at burglary, sexually motivated and or with intent to commit a felony. The responding officer is supposed to call me tonight when he gets on duty. I'm livid, honestly. Zero due diligence for this case. But there's not even a case. No case number. Just a documented police contact. I'll give more info when I have it. Final update. The officer finally called me. Here's how the conversation went. Hello, I answered groggily. It was well past midnight. Hello, miss. I was told you have some questions about an incident a few nights ago. Yes, about Thursday. I wanted to know what that man told you he was doing. You know, he was looking in windows and carrying potential restraints. I'm not sure if that was relayed to you. I stopped him, ran his tags, and he told me that he was meeting up with a guy from a dating app. He seemed forthcoming and open with his motive for being there. Meeting up with... Wait. He was meeting up with someone by looking in windows, knocking on two different doors for 20 minutes? I was shocked and still not fully awake. The officer said, like I said, he seemed forthcoming and honest with me. So was Jeffrey Dahmer was the first thing that came to my mind. With resistant bands, like workout bands? The officer said, he had lots of belongings in his car, so he probably just had them in there. Right. But bringing them to a hookup? Knocking on multiple doors? He saw the little girls through the window. He waited until my neighbor's husband left until knocking. That's on tape, officer. I checked in with the apartment management after the incident. The cop says, Well, I'm familiar with this individual, and I've been doing drive throughs of your complex to make sure he doesn't come back. I haven't seen anything. If you don't have any more questions, I'll let you go, ma'am. Doesn't make any sense to me, but thank you. Goodbye. And I hung up. I don't have much to say. I just feel icky about that conversation. Nothing new has come of the situation. I haven't seen the man or the car. My mind is blown at the lack of follow-up or due diligence. I live in a suburb. It's not a busy one either. The police department has a small jurisdiction. Guess I'll have to protect myself. Okay, this next story is titled, Awesome Brother Saved Me From a Stranger in the Apartment. I moved around a lot as a kid. For a small chunk of my life, I lived in what at the time was considered the most dangerous neighborhood in NYC, in the projects. My family wasn't doing very well financially, and I distinctly remember our apartment being swarmed with cockroaches. We had just a mattress or two on the floor. Now, I don't know if I've just been surrounded by irresponsible adults for most of my life, or if the folks around me were just spread too thin, but I got into a lot of iffy situations. I know in the case of my parents, it was blatant negligence. I'm talking, my bus to school was a van with the letters, bus, keyed onto it. Every morning, I'd get in there with three other kids. The driver was some rando, and there were always empty beer bottles clinking around on the floor. Wild. So wild. Beside the point. Well, since I moved around a lot, I often ended up making friends with the kids from my apartment building, rather than my school. I spent my free time in silly ways. I'd feed pigeons off the balcony, fed them so much they'd just fly back there in the adjacent balconies, chill in the morning waiting for me. Bird poop would just rain down below, pissing off all the other residents in the building. I also would host paperback puppet shows and invite all the kids to watch them on the staircase. I was a bit of a nuisance. Just way too much energy for my size. From holding these events, I ended up meeting a lot of parents. So one night, as I'm wrapping up one of my spectacular puppet shows, a lady who lived on the top floor of the building approaches me. She asked me if I could babysit her kid on that Friday night. I'm nine years old at the time, by the way. Her kid, Emily, is five. I'm not sure why this woman asked me, because I was clearly, very ostentatiously, being a child. 
I say yes because, well, why not? I mention this to my mother for permission, who naturally agrees. The idea is that since we live on the bottom floor, there's little to go wrong. I should also mention that I have an older brother. He was 14 at the time. So, Friday rolls around. I'm over at this lady's place with Emily. Her parents have just left 30 minutes prior. We're running around, tearing the apartment up. I still have way too much energy. Knock, knock, knock. I run over to the door. I should have checked the peephole, but I'm honestly too short. At this point in my life, no one has told me to never open the door for a stranger. So, I open it. On the other side stands a man. He's very tall, has a mustache. Looks like he's in his 40s. I ask him what he wants. He says that he's a friend of Sam's, Emily's father, and he was coming by to say hi. I tell him Sam isn't around. Dumb, I know. He tells me that it's not a problem, that Sam had told him he's coming home soon and to wait right there. He pushes past me, strolls over to the couch like he's right at home, and sits. Quote, someone should be watching you kids in the meantime anyway, right? The guy was friendly and so self-assured. I was confused. I didn't know Emily's family too well, and I didn't know who they were good friends with. I knew nothing. Maybe this guy came over here all the time. Emily didn't seem to have any strong reaction, so I just figured everything was okay. Maybe Sam really was coming home. Perhaps they forgot something, or there was something important to talk to this guy about. This guy knew his name, after all. So we're all sitting on the couch, and he's talking to us about his favorites. His favorite color, his favorite food, whatever. It's been about 20 minutes. No Sam. This guy is getting increasingly physically comfortable with Emily. At one point, she was trying to dodge him putting his arms around her. Something about the situation wasn't sitting right, and I could tell that she actually probably didn't really know him. Something was hanging in the air. Something was scaring that little girl. So, well, what do I do? There was no way to check his story. Emily's parents didn't leave me any way to contact them. I still brush it off, since the situation still seems completely normal to my innocuous eyes. We're all just talking. Nothing is going wrong, technically. We even start playing tag. But then I begin to notice that whenever I'd walk towards the entrance area, he'd somehow intercept me in a friendly way. He'd glide me in the other direction or call me over for a high five. He'd even let himself get tagged. As friendly and fearless as I swore I was, something was scaring me too. So I trusted that. Another 20 minutes, no Sam. I was getting panicked, but I knew my parents weren't home, only my brother. Thankfully, I remembered that this family had a phone. I had seen it as I was twirling around with Emily earlier. Now, my brother is fiercely protective of me. Still is. Always has been since day one. After I was born, there was none of that sibling attention jealousy stuff. He started crying day two because he thought I had an eye infection. So, well, I pretend I'm tired of tag. They sit down and I start singing, skipping around. Who knows? I'm trying to make a big show about how nothing is going on. I was big into acting at this time. Wanted to be an actress borderline obsessed with the idea. I'd act out fake scenes at home all the time by myself, with others, like a weirdo for years. Hence, the puppet shows. But, well, I was good at hiding emotion, good at playing roles. So, I'm singing. Role of a lifetime here. I need to figure out how to talk to my brother fast, while I sing, without my voice shaking. This man says some creepy thing about how I have such a sweet voice. I didn't think it was creepy at the time, but now it gives me the heebie-jeebies. And as he reaches over to grab something that's dropped on the floor, I notice he has a pocket knife or a box cutter, something sharp. Voice shakes. My heart skips. I try not to make eye contact. 
Luckily, he doesn't realize, I think. I say something along the lines of, Oh no, I forgot to feed my hamster. I spin, literally spin, over to the phone, which I'm sure this guy never noticed was sitting behind a plant. I didn't have a hamster. Let me just call my brother. He'll feed her. I holler, boom, chicka, wow, wow, before the man can say or do anything. Like, I can't hear him. The man is on edge now, noticing the phone, but also recognizing I've just dialed someone. It's like the top half of his face is glaring at me, but the bottom half is kind of fake smiling, apprehensive. My brother picks up. He's annoyed, as brothers always are. He thinks I'm just playing upstairs, supervised. He knows where I am, but my mother neglected to tell him the babysitting situation. I say, hello, I forgot to feed Skippy. What? What do you want? I forgot to feed Skippy. Can you feed her for me? Are you trying to prank call me? Seriously? Can you hear me? Seriously, she'll get sick. Cut it out. No, can you hear me now? In asterisks, my nickname for him. I forgot to feed Skippy. Can you feed her for me? At this point, he realizes I wouldn't be using his name if I really were prank calling him. The man is now holding Emily, throwing her up and down in the air. I'm losing it every time he throws her up. She's visibly not having a good time. She starts crying. He's trying to calm her. It's chaos. The scene is breaking down. Fast. Too fast. The brother says, What are you talking about? Is everything okay? No, you have to do it now. She gets hungry. Just play later. Is someone there? Yes, the green baggie. Shit. Shit. Stay calm. I'm coming. Hangs up. I believe there were 12 floors. The kid flies up. So fast. No idea how. Starts knocking on the door. Before the guy can get in my way, I sprint over and open it. My brother, being the smart cookie he is, tries to keep the situation calm. Seems he's called the cops by now. He swings the door open, says something along the lines of, Man, it smells in here, and props it there with a box nearby. I realize later he was trying to keep the door open for the cops, for us to run given the chance, and or for the neighbors to hear in case something happened. My brother introduces himself. Says he got bored downstairs, knew we were up here, wanted to watch a movie, and heard this apartment had a TV. The guy starts trying to fake introduce himself, and he puts down Emily, then just bolts. We don't follow. The cops show up eventually. They don't do much, presumably because the guy was gone and there were other violent crimes happening in the neighborhood. Emily's parents show up and after the waterworks, thank my brother. After giving the man's description to Sam, he still didn't know who we were talking about. Regardless, we all end up okay, and life went on. Still, I have no idea what that man wanted from us. I don't know if he was trying to rob Emily's parents, or had something more sinister in mind. He seemed to know that no adults were going to be home, so he might have been on the staircase the night Emily's mother asked me to watch her, and he just sat and played with us for so long. Every time I think about that night, I feel that panic all over again. Whatever he wanted, creepy apartment stalker man, let's not meet again. Okay, this next story is titled, A Man Looking for an Opportunity. 25 male. I got home late last night, which in my apartment complex means all the good parking spots are taken. So I parked a good distance from my apartment and begin walking towards it. There's a thunderstorm and it's not raining yet, so the air has energy and smells great. I decide to take my time and make a loop around my building and come up behind it. As I make the corner and begin walking back down towards my apartment, I see a guy coming out of the parking lot between two cars. We nod and I slow my pace, and he begins walking ahead of me, but I noticed he also slowed down his pace to match mine. 
So I started going even slower, intending to cut the corner as soon as we approach it and enter my apartment as soon as possible, the front door being right on the corner. He seems reluctant to walk too far ahead of me, so already I'm on alert. He approaches the corner first and I come around. He's at my apartment door shaking my doorknob. He looks at me as I round the corner and says, I lost my keys. The realization that he was lying and the implication of the lie slammed every one of my systems into high alert. Everything in me told me to not stop, so I kept walking and gave him a sympathetic smile. He turns and stares at me and then asks me if I have a phone he can borrow. At this point, I'm feeling stuck and panicking. He's pretending that he lives in my apartment, so I can't get in past him. My car is too far away in the dark, and any sudden movements will alert him that I'm on to him. So I tell him my phone died, which caused my heart to immediately skip a beat, because now he thinks I can't call the cops. I walked one door over and started knocking on the door. It's past midnight. The guy is standing at my doorstep just staring at me. After an eternity, my neighbor, who I'm on hey, how are ya, and nice night out speaking terms with, opens the door. I immediately say, hey, Kevin, and push past him into his apartment. I immediately turn and close the door and locked it. I explained to my neighbor what was happening, and he went to get his gun, and I called the cops. But the guy was gone, and now I'll never be able to walk around my apartment complex without constantly looking over my shoulder. Okay, this next story is titled, Flirty Stranger on the Subway Turns Out to Be a Violent Attacker. It's been months since this happened, but it was on my mind today, and I can't believe I didn't post it sooner to this sub. Back in the winter, I had returned home to NYC and was getting used to the usual schlep on the subway to get to and from work and around the city in general. I hate the subway as an overarching sentiment towards the MTA. I had always called it the bane of my existence because it challenged me in all the areas I am sensitive about. Close proximity to strangers, claustrophobic spaces, temperature extremes, mysteriously foul smells, pests, and vermin. Overall, it's convenient and tolerable on a good day but I still had my fair share of unfortunate encounters over the years that led me to regard the subway as a less-than-ideal mode of transportation around the city. This one early evening on a Sunday solidified my thinking. I had just left a breast cancer fundraiser event around 7 p.m. and was only going a few stops over to where my house was on the end train. My little sister and I sat chatting quietly as the train began to move. A medium-billed black man with a gray pea coat and a beanie made eye contact with me and hurried over. He bent down close to my face, extending his arm out for a handshake and said, Hello there, you are very beautiful. How you doing? What's your name? I sort of just recoiled back, giving him a confused, what are you doing in my personal space kind of look, shaking my head in clear disinterest to make his acquaintance. All of a sudden, it was like a switch flipped, and his previously sweet tone turned to an ugly rage. Fuck you, bitch, you think you're better than everybody? You ain't shit, you ugly bitch, clown-ass bitch. Fuck out of here, clown-ass bitch. He screamed at the top of his lungs and I noticed everyone turning and staring in our direction. Fuck you anyway. He made a waving off gesture while I kind of just sat there staring at him wide-eyed, wondering what he was going to do next. His entire stance was very aggressive. He then stopped screaming and to my surprise made a direct pass to try the same exact thing on my sister, who was right next to me. Quote, wow, you are beautiful too, can I shake your hand? and he reached directly next to me to touch her. The fucking nerve. I extended my arm and said firmly, Hey, leave my sister alone and back up out of our space. This guy smacks my hand out of the way. Now he's fully pushed my buttons. I stand up and realize I'm about eye level with him, 
so he must have been around five foot nine, maybe five foot eleven at most. Don't fucking touch my sister, I said, and I was officially heated. This part is a blur, as I don't remember what he said when he pushed me and we began to scuffle, but I landed a very sweet uppercut on his jaw. This enraged him, and he had me on my back within seconds, kicking me and screaming, I will fucking kill you, bitch. After what felt like an eternity, two good people on the subway had run up behind him and grabbed him off of me. I heard one guy say, leave her alone, dude, what the fuck? And when I looked up, I saw several horrified passengers staring at us as we engaged in a full-on brawl. Adrenaline was pumping through my veins so everything was bright and my vision was pinpoint and I felt numb. The conductor said something over the speakers about holding the train at the platform, and I stood there shaking as the guys threw him onto the platform and made a barrier between the platform and door as he attempted to get back in the car, clawing at the air and sputtering curses at me, staring me dead in the eye. The subway doors finally closed in, locking him out. He pounded on the doors, as though possessed by a demon, screaming so loud you could see every sinew in his neck as he pounded on the glass. His eyes were so bloodshot they almost glowed red, and his voice so loud it pierced through the entire car. I will kill you, bitch. Then the subway car pulled away from the station. Someone pointed to the ground. He had dropped his cell phone in the altercation. It was unlocked. I found out everything I could about this crazed stranger. His name, his social media handles, saw all his selfies, the fact that he'd been trying very hard and was unsuccessful at getting laid. His text messages revealed he was a drug dealer of some sort. I suspected crack because of the prices, increments, and wording of the texts, which would also kind of explain his violent outburst. I'd seen my fair share of crazy in NYC, but it had not gotten this up and close and personal in years. I was shook and emotional following the attack. I went to the police station with my aunt and uncle soon after, and I was filing a report when one of the cops at the station says, if it turns out that you stole his phone from the guy, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Dada, straight to my face, implies that I stole this phone from a complete stranger on the subway and was now spinning some elaborate web that included turning myself in at a police station when I was filing a report of an assault. I wasn't wrong in thinking that the guy wasn't going to be much help. I digress. I gave them his full name and they said they had a lot of people in the system with the same name. I said, well, I have this specific info I got off the phone. They said they couldn't use anything off the phone without a warrant. They ended up taking a cell phone from me and nothing ever really came of it, except for the ginormous bruise I had from getting a blunt kick to the thigh. Another officer came by my house a few months later with some photos of an extremely similar looking black man, none of which I could confidently identify as my assailant. Haven't heard a single thing since I filed the report, and I couldn't find the guy on social media again. So, this lunatic is out there probably riding the subway somewhere, waiting for the next girl to reject a handshake so he can go absolutely batshit crazy. Sometimes I wonder what would have happened if it had been late at night with nobody around to help me. The guy was screaming that he was going to kill me, and I'm sure he would have, given the chance. Brawling Subway Casanova, let's not meet again. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you all are having a wonderful October, a wonderful fall season, and make sure to tune in next week for another episode. Goodbye.